God bless you abundantly. On Sunday, August 31st, 1969, Dr. Ruel officially opened and dedicated the Way Corps. For your spiritual enrichment and enjoyment, here is the teaching from that great occasion. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Victor Paul Weirwill. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, please. I am sure that some people would perhaps wonder why Father inspired me to use this section of the Word of God in this the opening and the official dedication and opening of the Way Corps. To be real honest, I sort of thought about it a few times myself. I wondered why. But then I got to thinking, well, people have wondered about my life and my operation in the ministry so many, many times. They wonder why I do certain things a certain way. And it's like I've said to our people time and time again, to your friends, they need no explanation. Your enemies wouldn't believe it anyway. So you just walk with the greatness of the presence of the glory of the Lord in your life and quit trying to explain everything to everybody. People said to me three years ago when I first voiced this among a few people, they said, well, they didn't think the core could be handled by the way ministry. They said it couldn't be done. Well, they said that about the film ministry too, right? They said we couldn't make the class on power for abundant living, so we did it anyway. They said the core couldn't, you couldn't work a core like this in the way ministry. Well, we, we're here tonight to prove everybody who said that a lie. Because it's already a success because God's in it. And when God's in it, that makes a majority. Now this record and why God inspired my heart to use it on this great night is something I think you're just going to have to see the momentous greatness of it for yourself. First verse says, And Jesus being full of Penumahagion, Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by, they got a capital S, that's real devilish. Because the capital S never led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Well, anyways, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus was not an empty. Jesus was just not a person floating through. It says he was full. He wasn't empty. He was filled. He was full of Panuma Hagion. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of everything God was able to give him. And yet, in spite of being full, he was led into the wilderness. Inside of the core, we're going to be full, and yet you're going to find times that you are going to be exposed to the wilderness. And Jesus was not an empty. Satan never wastes his time with empties. He's got them. Satan's only concerned about hitting the big people. The ones that are full. The ones who have committed themselves. Those are the ones he tries to work on. 
Verse 2. Well, 40 days. It says he was tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Forty days he was tempted of the devil. Temptations will come, no matter how full you are. Temptations will be there. But temptation is not sin. Yielding to it is. And if you think for one minute that just because you've joined the core, you've dedicated your life for two years to the core, that Satan's going to let you alone, you've got another guest coming. He's going to do his best to get you out in that wilderness. And he's going to do his best to trip you up wherever he can. He'll do the same for me to try to break the core. Well, I've made up my mind he can't break it because God said it can't be broken when we believe God's word and we're going to believe it. Verse 3 says, And the devil said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Marvelous temptation. He was in hunger after 40 days, and he said, you need a little bread. And the devil said, if you are such a wonderful Son of God, if you're so full of God, why don't you make that stone turn to bread? Right. <laughs> Jesus answered him, saying, the Reader's Digest says, Professor so-and-so says, the right reverence, oh no, my denomination, no, 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 no. He said, it is what? Well, where do you think it was written? In Playboy magazine? No, in the revealed word of God, right? In the scrolls that men of God gave when they were fired by the Holy Spirit. That's what he was, it's written in the word of God. That man shall not, what? Live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The reply by Jesus was from the word. This is the core. The reply. That's the core. It's the reply with the word. Men will posit many questions. Satan will bring via men Many of these temptations. Could Jesus have turned that stone into bread? He could have if he'd have had what? That's right. But he had hungered for 40 days. And he, he, Jesus could have said, well, boy, I sure got to have something to eat. Well, if you hungered, you fasted for 40 days. Then you get hungry or something. Another 15 minutes not going to kill you. But for most people, they'd have grabbed right in and said, oh boy, i got to have it now. You know. You see something at the store and i got to have it now. I'm already in debt over my neck, but i got to buy it now. None of us ever been through that, huh? Jesus replied with the word, this is the core. You've got to get that word within you so that when temptations come, and they'll always come via people, basically. That you've got the answer that you can reciprocate with the word. Not with your opinion. Not with B.P. Werewill's opinion. Not with what your denomination says or mine. But what does the word say? This is the core. Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. 
but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That isn't quite what Luke says, is it? My mind is going back to Matthew and a few other places. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Today there's a lot of bread. When our boys from the West Coast talk about bread, you know what it means. Dough. Money. That's what they said all summer they were here, you know. And they said, well, so and so. They're talking about bread. Okay. Man shall not live by bread, by dough alone, by money, by food, physical food. But man has to live by the word. Every word. Not just one word here, one word there, another word there. Every word of God. And people, if there's ever been a time for somebody to get to the word, this is it. Because we're living in an affluent age of dough, of bread, oodles of bread. It doesn't take much ability today to make eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a year. Nah. Why, even a tavern keeper can make that. That don't take any ability. Because all you have to do is shake up things a little bit and pour it out of the right side of the cup or something. But, so there is a lot of bread today, but very little bread of life. Very little of the Word of God. Most people just talk about it. But very little genuine word. The way core is the word. That's primary. <laughs> Look at verse 5. And the devil then did what? Took him up into a high mountain and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me, and to whomsoever I will, I what? All the kingdoms of the world. Who wouldn't sell his soul today, the average person, for all the kings of the world? Most people sell it for a little section of a community. That's right. Don't say that. Or if I could just be the mayor. Man, if I could be the mayor. Or if I could come from a little hick town down in southern Ohio and get to be the great governor of the state of Ohio, I'd just sell my soul to anybody in Cleveland, any other place. And if I could be the president of the United States, oh, what wouldn't I do? Jesus had the opportunity, bigger than anybody. He said, all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them, I'll give to you. Why didn't he buy it? Well, verse 8 gives you the answer. Well, verse 7 was, the, was the, the big push on it. If you'll do what? Worship me. That was it. Then all will be done. Verse 8, Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, again, it is what? Written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only. Not glory, not power, not prestige, not position in a community. Not whether they speak ill or well of us. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou us. That's the way it It is what? Written. I don't give a hoot what you think, or your opinions, or your arguments. 
I want to know, is it written? That I can read it line by line and word by word and can I understand it? That's the way core. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou worship. Nothing to come ahead of. The worshiping of the true God. That's why there's a discipline involved in the core. Tremendous discipline. Verse 9. And Satan again. And he brought him to Jerusalem. The great center of all religious movements. And he set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, you just cast yourself down from him. For it is written, and here the devil's quoting scripture, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Now don't tell me the devil doesn't know the Bible. He knows more scriptures than the average Christian ever gets around to thinking it because we never have a retemory program. As a Christian, we have a forgetful program. No retemory, no retaining in the mind of the greatness of God's word. The old devil knows scripture, and he puts it in Johnny Jump Up's brain cells, and Johnny Jump Up comes back with a little bit of scripture from this place and from that place, and lo and behold, before you know it, they're not worshiping the true God, they're worshiping a false God, but they think it's the true God. But thinking doesn't make it so. You label the canned pickles on the outside, you've got peaches on the inside, it doesn't change the fruit on the inside, the label doesn't, right? That's your life, that's right. <laughs> well, look at verse 10. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou even dash thy little old foot, not your head, just your feet, Relatively insignificant. Lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. Straight scripture. Huh. Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. How do you like that? That one? That's the way it goes. Thou shalt not what? Tempt the Lord thy God. That's the way it goes. Could we sell our souls? And have the power, the glory, the prestige. Oh, yeah. Could have done that a thousand times. But that's not what we sell our soul for. We dedicate ourselves that we can so give out God's word to God's people that we need not tempt the Lord our God by flipping. Well, finally, in verse 13, it says, the devil had ended all the temptation he could pour on him. What to do? He departed from him for the rest of his life. No, for a what? Little season. The next time he had a good opportunity, he was right back bugging him again. And all through the word. Time and time again, Jesus always reciprocated with the word. It is written, thus saith the Lord. Then there are two ways to handle the word of God. Satan handles it one way in here. Jesus handled it another. Now one or the other had to be wrong, right? You gotta make up your mind. Just because a man quotes a scripture 
just because a man would carry the book under his arm. Or if he held it up here and he said, this is what the word says, does it mean it says it at all? It could say it as the devil said it said it, but it could be taken out of its context and could not be rightly divided, right? So just because you meet a scripture quoting preacher doesn't mean he knows a hill of beans and a hailstorm about the accuracy of God's word. That's right. And just because a man carries a book, or just because I lay it open before us, just because I would read a section from the Gospel of Luke, doesn't mean that I know at all what the word really says. There are a lot of different tests you have to put to it. And this, of course, you all know from the foundational classes, how you have to test whether that word is rightly divided or whether it isn't. Whether it's just a bunch of baloney and hogwash we're handing out, or whether it's the greatness of God's wonderful matchless word. The devil quoted it, Jesus quoted it. One or the other had to be wrong. Well, I'll bet the devil was. You know where he was quoting from? You got a center reference? Nope, Deuteronomy. <laughs> reason I know it so I looked it up. Oh, Deuteronomy 8, yeah. Psalms came a little later. Quote it again then. Well, look at Deuteronomy 8. Out of this came this great truth. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. And I said, this is basically the core. Now, to go back to its original usage gives you the picture out of which it, that great truth was born. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, talking to the children of Israel, that you may live and do what? Multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. Just walk in and take it. He's already given it to you. He said, go in and possess it. Okay. And thou shalt remember, verse 2, all the way, he mentions the way, thou shalt remember all the way. You didn't see that before. It had to be in here. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee, these 40 years in the wilderness when they left Egypt to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or whether you wouldn't or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with what? Manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know, thee know, that man doth not what? Live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man what? Live. That's what Jesus was quoting. The day he spoke to the devil, we read about in Luke. And by the way, it's in the fourth chapter of Matthew too. Verse 4. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee. I'm, in Deut I'm still in Deuteronomy 8. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee. Neither did thy foot swell these forty years, and they didn't even have foot powder. Right. 
They had no swelling of the feet and they walked. Well, sometimes they sat a lot and they didn't have any swelling there either. So it was just a matter of uh, somebody was doing something for somebody. Must have been the God, huh? He says in verse 5, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, corrects his son, is the text. So the Lord thy God corrects thee, chastens thee. Doesn't mean he beats the blazes out of people. Now, where'd you ever get that idea? Oh, you heard that in the church. Well, go back. Tell me wrong. To chasten means to correct. Doesn't mean to beat the life out of it. Therefore, verse 6, Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to reverence, respect, have awe for him. The word fear. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. Isn't that something? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word which proceedeth out of what? And if you live by that word and really live by it, how about believing God for material things? Are they going to be there? Are they going? What he says, he said there's going to be so much stuff in the ground it's going to jump out of it. A land of wheat and barley and vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of oil, olive oil, honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarcity. Right? Not with what? But without scarcity. Somebody said, well, how are they going to get their need met in the core? I don't know. Die, then you don't have any net need. Then. <laughs> the simplest way to get out of it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The children of Israel weren't even born again of God's Spirit. They looked forward to our day. They hadn't arrived at it. And look what God did for them. Class, is God going to do less for us in the core? Oh, I should say not. You're going to eat bread without scarceness. We're going to have plenty of bread. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. Anything. A land, he said, those stones are iron. <laughs> no, it looked like stone, but it's iron. And out of the, whose hills thou mayest dig what? Breath. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath what? Given me. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? He says, first of all, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and we proceed to operate it this way, then God brings the other abundance into So when we manifest material poverty, it's simply because we aren't operating spiritual principles in our individual lives. It's impossible to operate the word of God and not bring to us that which God makes available to his believers. Verse 11. Now he says, beware, that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his what? Commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. 
lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and you've builded goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks have multiplied by leaps and bounds, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied by leaps and bounds, and all thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, draughts, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this what? Well, that's something. You forget the Lord thy God who brought thee. Boy, aren't they saying it today. Christian people, church people, everybody says, oh, it's my ability. I got the ability, boy. I can do that job. I got that coming, boy. That's what he says. You just forgot. <laughs> but, verse 18, in contrast, thou shalt remember the Lord thy what? For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Isn't that wonderful? And it shall be if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and if you walk after other what and serve them and worship them I testify against you this day that ye shall what? Surely perish. And the reason our people in our nation in our time are perishing is because they're walking after other gods, they're worshiping other gods, they're thanking other gods for giving them strength and getting their wealth, and that the true God won't stand for. There's a lot of things men do that just doesn't get God's dandruff up nearly as much as when you begin worshiping another god instead of the true god. Man, then you've had it with you. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your faith, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your what? That's why I said to you, when I began tonight, that the core, the purpose of the core is that the realization again come into the hearts and lives of people that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, not just a word you pick out here and a word you pick out there, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now the word of God is made up or composed of the words of God. And this word of God constitutes the food for our minds to be renewed on the word. In our culture, in our time, of course, diet is recognized more and more as an integral as well as an essential thing to nutrition and proper physical growth. So I believe that 
the diet of the word of God is required by men and women if they want to have mature spiritual bodies, so to speak. And the reason we are so emaciated and impoverished and manifest the same spiritually and nutritionally spiritually is because we have been living on the improper food. Or it's been the neglect of the word of God. You learn those two points in the foundational class. I think of the question that Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch outside of the city limits of Jerusalem one day. The record is recorded in Acts, and I'd like for you to turn to it, please. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah, and saith unto the Ethiopian eunuch, Understandest thou what thou what? Read it. Was he reading it? Definitely. It's not a question of a man just reading the Bible, reading the Word. It's a question of what? Assimilating it. Of understanding it. It's not just a question of whether you ate seven loaves of white bread for supper. But were you able to assimilate it and get any strength out of it? No, you just lost ten times as much strength as you... You could have gotten if you'd eaten 20 loaves. You'd just kill yourself. I never saw a lousy summer like this summer. Never in the history of the way ministry has ever been any white bread on the tables downstairs. Next summer there won't be any if I'm around. Oh, it's just a silly little thing to most people's minds. I know it's silly, but so what? It's my outfit. I'll be silly, but silly. <laughs> Right, but I happen to know something scientifically. That any time you eat two slices of white bread and you eat mashed potatoes with gravy and a piece of pie, you gel more plain alcohol, Seagram Seven Crown, whatever else I can't think of anymore, bourbon or whatever it is, than two ounces of straight alcohol. That's right. And those people, you know, that eat that way many times are the people that wouldn't think of going to the corner saloon and buying themselves a drink. But if you could see inside what they've been eating, you bet you pack it's the same alcohol. The reason they aren't, and many of them are tipsy, they get little wavy motions, you know, from eating right after dinner. They're not quite stable. They're manufacturing the stuff. <laughs> But boy, they wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole if the neighbors saw them going to saloon. Well, they're salooning all the time. Well, you see, it's just not a question of do you under, do you read it, do you assimilate it, do you understand it? And people, when you put poison in your body, you get poisoned results, whether it's physical or spiritual. Now we got to be stupider than stupid to miss those truths. Well, we're stupid. So we keep going on, most of us, with the same old society we've been in a lifetime. And so we just keep going on with the same stuff. Not in the way, court. 
We just don't do it. We're not interested in what society does. We're not interested in if he has kingdoms, the glory, the power of them. We're interested, is it what the word says? Is this the way God would have us to walk? That we can worship one God and he is the true God. That's what we're interested in. Understandest what thou readest? Verse 31. And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? Well, holy Hannah people, he'd just been in Jerusalem. The seat of the authority of all the theological brains and all the religion, right? He had been there for a great spiritual campaign. A whole week of it. Right. Here he was coming back from that great religious meeting, reading the word of God. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, I can I? Nobody's ever taught me. Well, what did he go to the great service for in Jerusalem if nobody could help him? He went for the same reason. Most of us keep going because we are born in a certain society and we just keep going on and on and on and on. And then someday for some of us, Philip comes along and for you he's come along. Right. We just don't run because somebody says that's a good place to go. We only run when we know it's the greatness of God's word. Otherwise, we just stand still and have another pot of tea. Boy, oh boy. Man, what you couldn't do if I was a preacher with that in a text. Understand us all as I read us. Boy, I, 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 just, I don't know if I'm communicating, but if I'm not, you must just have both earballs plugged. But man... He'd been in Jerusalem, which today would say had been at the greatest theological seminary, sat under the greatest theologians, and yet he couldn't understand the word. Some of you people have been in church for 40 years, you don't understand it either. Matter of fact, I know people in church for 50 years don't even know Genesis is the first book in the New Testament. Well, what? Tell me, please, what are you doing that if you haven't learned that much? Well, don't tell me. <laughs> well, our great joy in the core is we're going to understand what we read. And we're going to understand it so well that we can communicate it to somebody who wants to understand it too. And if they don't want to understand it, we're not going to waste our time trying to hold their hands and court them if they don't want to make any love. Understand the deal? Okay. Genesis. That's a real romantic subject, isn't it? <laughs> oh, isn't this terrific? When you sit down and think this thing through, exactly what did God call us for? What are we here for? Where are we headed for? Fabulous. You see, our day, for the most part, is, is just like the day of the Tower of Babel, or Babel, whichever it is. We get the word babbling from the word Tower of Babel. That's why when people just have the running off of the mouth, they call it babbling. You see, and we get it from this Genesis deal. In chapter 11, is just one verse I want to call to your attention. In this chapter, maybe. <laughs> verse 9. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. 
and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad over the face of it. The Lord confounded the language of all the earth. The reason the Lord confounded, he said in law up here, and people bucked up against it. Remember? I taught you this in foundational class, advanced class. Why? This is all true. And there was a great confusion, a great confounding. They couldn't communicate. Well, you can hardly get two Christians today to agree on anything throughout the whole Word of God. So we got a great power of Babel confusion in the religious world in which you and I were brought up and in which we live. That's right. We've got over 4,000 different denominations in the United States. Well, somebody's got to be wrong. Maybe two of them. Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I'll show you. Now that's a terrible request. Asking old Abraham to leave his dad, mom, leave everything behind, and go out into a country where he knew not whither he was going. But who had said to him what to do? The Lord had. The Lord had said unto Abraham. And that's how I feel about the core. When the Lord said to me, the core was okay with him, that settled it. I feel like old age. In many respects, I don't know what's out there in that unconquered territory, but there's got to be a good territory out there. Right. When he said to Abraham, you leave your family, you, I mean, you leave your father and you go out into, from Ur of the Chaldees and you move out into a land where you don't even know where you're moving, Abraham moved only because the Lord told him to move. And in the way, Cor, I've only moved at this time because the Lord told me. Not because you people had sponsors, not because everybody was standing behind us and saying, this thing already go, but because the Lord said it. So, verse 4. So Abraham sat around. No. Abraham departed. As the Lord had what? Spoken unto him. And you know what happened? Little old Lot, his wonderful nephew, went with him. And Abraham was a young man of 23, because you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Abraham was how old? That's right. When he finally decided he better move. Some old dog learned a new trick. That's why, don't tell me you're too old to learn. You're just too... <laughs> you're never too old. You just don't want to, and you're honest. That's right. Abraham was 75, and he left his home country. He sold his television set. He got rid of all of his farming tools or whatever else he had. Sold his... Buick automobile, and he just started headed out south. Boy, there's a something. Just imagine. That's about as good as Noah building an ark when it hadn't rained. And even a cloud in the sky. Then building it up on a hill to boot. I tell you. Huh. Look at verse 7. 
And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, and he said, Abraham, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there Abraham built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, that's a pretty good deal. Abraham was told by God, unto thy seed, and that's God's gift. And Abraham built an altar, that's, at a, that's, that's old Abe's gift. To worship the true God, that was the way they had done this deal. And to worship the true God is our gift. God's giving of eternal life and all these other things is his gift to us. Look at verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down where? Into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was what? Grievous in the land. <laughs> I'm not going to read you the rest. I'm getting tired. I'm getting quick pretty soon. Hey. There was a famine in the land. Whose land? The land that God had given to whom? Somebody's got to be wrong. Do you see the point? No, you don't. Okay, explain it to you. A woman. There was a famine. A woman. I think she was a Syrophoenician gal, wasn't she? Not much of a woman. Or was she? All she had was one little old pot of oil. And yet she lived through years of great famine and the oil in the pot never waned. Same land. The Lord had spoken to old Abe and he said, that's the place. I've given you every place your little old footsteps on. That belongs to you. I've given it to you. A little old famine comes along and what's old Abraham do? Head south country. You know, Florida, where it isn't quite so cold. You see, it's a remarkable thing about verse 10, Walter, and on is God never told him to leave the country. Just because a famine comes, you don't run out. A little old famine came one day that lasted, well, a little dry spell, you know, three years. It didn't rain for three years. Matter of fact, the Bible said it was so dry there wasn't even any dew for three years. And when you do not do any do for three years, she drives. <laughs> little old prophet hightailed it out because I think it was Ahab was a little teed off about the situation, dry spell. And he sent out his FBI boys to get him. So little old prophet head down to little old brook. And he sat down next to little old brook, but it was so dry, but the brook was still running. So he had water to drink, and the Lord saw that the catfish fishing was good. And that the peasant season was good, so that he had meat and bread to eat. Finally, it got to drive and the brook dried up. The Lord said to the fellow, you going over here, we got food to eat. Never once did the Lord leave him without an abundance. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you what an abundance is. Good health. Good sound mind. That's hell. That's wealth, too. Boy, that's life. That's abundance. The idea that men have today about abundance is not anything but greed, primarily. Because the Joneses do it, so everybody else has the Joneses. 
not to the Joneses. People, boy, as long as you and I have good health and a sound mind, we're rich. And then to have a lovely place to sleep, isn't that wonderful? I think of this every night almost. Boy, when I can lie down someplace in peace and quietness and just relax, just get quiet. Boy, I just thank the Lord for a good bed to sleep in. Boy, that's abundant. Little old famine came along in old Abraham had forgotten that the Lord had said, the land's over here, it's yours. Well, if he just asked the Lord, the Lord opened the windows of heaven and poured him out a bushelful. But old Abraham said, oh, the rest of the people all moving out. Man, the famine's on. I've got to go with the gang. So he heads off to you. <laughs> Look at chapter 13. Remember, God didn't tell him to leave, to leave the promised land. He left on his own. But now he goes out in Egypt. And even while he's out in left field, remember Paul? The Lord did the best he could in the situation. Is for Abraham too. And old Abram, finally, in verse 1, he comes up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot went with him in the south country. And old Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. Verse 4. And he went unto the place of the altar. Well, let's go back to verse 2. Got to read and he went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the lot. Glory be. For a whole bunch of years, he goes down in Egypt. Then he finally comes to his senses, and he goes back to the same place to start out from, which he should never have left to start with, because God never told him to get out. So it says he went back where his tent had been at the beginning, when God spoke to him between Bethel, unto the place of the altar, which which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham comes to his senses and he calls on the name of Lot. Had he done this back in chapter 12, he'd have never left and gone to Egypt. People, you've always got to come back to the same place you left <laughs> to start out again if you're going to go. Right, if, we, if I go out the left field, i got to come back right field. Remember the foundational class, the difference between remission and forgiveness? You ever try to drive a hog back to the same hole he came out of? <laughs> JP tried to drive somebody else's sheep back last night, but Dave put barbed wire in the hole so they wouldn't go back in or something. Or maybe Harry bought sheep while I was gone. Did you buy sheep? While I was gone, Brother Harry? You didn't know. Well, we got 15, 20 more out there in the pasture. They multiply quickly. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> verse 5. And Lot also, you know, which went with Abraham, he had flocks and herds and tents. Verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was so great. They couldn't dwell together, and all their cows couldn't have enough to eat. So there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. Not between Abraham and Lot, but between their hired servants. In verse 8, Abraham said unto Lot, 
Don't let there be any strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. Don't You and I don't want to fight. Let there not even be any fight between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we're brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate therefore, I pray thee, from me. If thou take the left hand, then I'll go right. If thou depart the right, I'll go left. And Lot lifted up his eyeballs. Get that verse 10, boy. This is it. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he got a sense, now he was wise. And behold, out there were the plains of Lot, Jordan, and the grass was lush, the timber was beautiful, and the wheat was 75 bushels an acre. And all Lot looked at that. And it was well watered, too. <laughs> and so he went. We're well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom more. Even as the garden of the Lord, so the land of Egypt as thou comest the sower. Verse 11. Then Lot chose him all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. Verse 12. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains. And he pitched his tent toward what? That's where the lusciousness was. You see, when a man moves into Sodom, Sodom gets into the man. Can't get in any other way. Oh, Lot moved toward Sodom, and when he moved toward Sodom, Sodom got into old Lot. It ruined, almost ruined his life for him. You get the word sodomy from it, you know. And he cast his eyes that way, for the men of Sodom were wicked, and they were big sinners. You know the reason I know it? Because it says so. Before the Lord exceedingly. They just didn't sin. They sinned big. They weren't just wicked. They were wicked big. They were big in their wickedness. They were wickeder than wicked. And one night the Lord said unto Abraham, verse 14, Abraham, after that lot was separated from him, you lift up your eyes now, Abraham, and you look unto the place where thou art. Look northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Abraham had gone into an area that wasn't so luscious and so green and where the trees weren't like they were for old Lot. But the Lord said to him, you cast your eyes over there, Abraham. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it into thy seed forever. And I, God, will make thy seed. I'll do it as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be able to be numbered. Arise, Abraham. Walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And class, that's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to arise. We've got to walk. Why sit we here until we what? Die. Man, let's get up and walk. Let's tell the accuracy of God's word if nobody believes it. Let's move the film ministry if nobody wants to see it. Let's move the tape ministry if nobody wants to hear it. Just do it. Because the moment you arise, that's the first thing you got to do. you got to get up from the place you're sitting. 
Remember Peter's famous statement? People should be standing on the promises rather than sitting on the premises. That's what the word means, arise. That's Dr. Wade's quote. Right. You know, a man can sit around so long in the comfort of his spiritual ignorance that he becomes sort of fossilized in his position. And it's just like having all the knuckles. What would he get in the stuff in the knuckles? Oh, that ain't, that's the name of it. Uh, fossilized stuff. Gotcha, calcium, that's what. Okay, so you see people many times, they just sit. No, it says, get up. And it's not enough to get up because I could get up. Here I am. But if I want to go back to that door, I'm going to have to do one thing. What? Walk. That's exactly what he said. Arise and walk. You could arise and say, boy, it's a wonderful word of God. The way ministry is the greatest thing in the world. Don't help a thing unless you start what? Walking. And when you walk, you're going to have an opportunity of falling. It's only people that sit that don't fall unless the leg in the chair breaks. They never make a mistake because they're just sitting. People, when you and I walk in this way, Cor, we're going to make a mistake once in a while. But at least we're arising and we're walking. And we're going to get to that door because we're headed that direction. And if the old devil's going to boot us, we're going to determine the direction we're going to let him boot us. That's right. We're headed back toward that door. If he boots us, we're going to keep going that direction. Let his boot help us go it. We're never going to turn around this way and let him boot us this way. No, sir. Because walking is nothing but putting your one foot ahead of the other and testing yourself before your nose hits. Why a baby usually doesn't quite make it. The nose hits it a few times when it's learning to walk. But boy, at least the baby has arisen and it's starting to walk. And finally the baby learns to do what? Walk. The Lord said, get up. Walk. Huh. Forgot what verse it was. 17? What chapter? Oh yeah. <laughs> walk through the land of bread. And I will give it unto thee. See, once we start rising, once we start walking, then God has to go into operation. If we get it, we get it because God then gives it to us. But as long as you sit and you don't walk, you don't blame God. <laughs> then Abraham removed his tent. Now it was time for him to move because God said move, so he shouldn't move. Once before he moved, he shouldn't have moved. He came and he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and there he built an altar unto whom? The Lord. Right. I'd like to show you something in chapter 15. I shared this this morning with our 1030 group. That's just a family get-together. But boy, this stuff is just hotter than a firecracker in my soul tonight. Because this is the core of people. This is the biggest thing that any group of people have ever desired to do since the first century. In communicating the word so that others can have it and communicate it. Oh, our summer schools are nice, but they tickle too many people's tonsils. And the, the inquisitive people come, you know. They want to hear me teach the word again for another hour and a half because they feel so good when I teach the word to them, you know. Because I'm not fossilized in the same old pattern, you know, with the long 
stone stone. Nah. Uh, boy, the core has got to have depth in it, life, and you got to be able to take it. Discipline-wise, work-wise, sleepless-wise, yeah, you ought to be able to go 18, 19 hours a day without sleep. And be sharp as a meatball and remember twice as what? Juicy, that's it. Because it's the juice that makes the meat. Hey, after all of these things, chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham the night he was watching TV, because it says in a vision. A vision is pictures, you know, yeah. colors, hue, no black and white with the Lord. Nail came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abraham. I am thy what? Oh, sure. What was happening? Oh, the people were saying, your, your, your old nephew Lot, he's no good. Sure, he chose the side of me. He's got, he's got exactly coming to him what he's getting. Abraham says, oh, no, Lord, not my nephew Lot. Look, all of us have moved towards Sodom and don't you kid OVP, else we talk turkey. That's right. All of us have moved towards Sodom at one time or another, right? And we got right in the depth of that blessed stuff. One way or another, evil I'm talking about, the whole thing that Sodom represented. Yet the Lord loved us. And boy, what a tremendous truth. After old Lot had been in Sodom and Sodom gotten all of Lot's family except, you know, only he and his two daughters got out and all the rest of the stuff, you know. Boy, Abraham got concerned about Lot. And one night the Lord said to him, Abraham, don't you get shook. I am your what? Shield. And ladies and gentlemen, if God is our shield... Where is there going to be a fiery dart of Satan which will be able to penetrate the shield of God? That shield of God class has to be impervious to all of Satan's darts. The Lord said, I'm your shield. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in the way core, God is our shield. And if he isn't, we go down with the ship. Okay? You bet your life. Well, the Lord is our shield. And the Lord said to Abraham, I am your exceeding great, what? Reward. Worship the true God and all these other things shall be added unto you. Remember Matthew, seek ye what? First the kingdom of, that's it. God only shalt thou worship. Thou shalt have no other gods. It's God and the worship of the true God and you can't worship the true God truly until you rightly divide the word of truth. And how in the world can we rightly divide the word of truth if we have no man to teach us unless somebody takes the time out of his life to work that word and to fit it so that it works with a mathematical exactness and a scientific precision and that it does fit like a hand in a glove from Genesis. Through Revelation twenty two twenty one, try. Huh. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
Look at verse 6. And he, Abraham, did what? Believed in the Lord. That doesn't mean he was converted. It means he believed what the Lord said. The Lord said, I am your shield, I am your great reward, and Abraham believed what God said. And you know what God did? He accounted it unto him for what? Righteousness. My, how grateful I am that the King James boys didn't translate that word believe faith. They hashed it up in Hebrews 11, but they didn't hash it up here, because here it's exactly what it says in the text, exactly what it means. And he, Abraham, believed God. Abraham didn't have any faith because faith didn't come until Jesus Christ came, right? But Abraham was a man of body and soul. Abraham could believe God. God said, I'm your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. And old Abraham had the choice. He could either kick God in the teeth or he could believe what God said. And Abraham chose to do what? By freedom of his will. You chose to be in the core. You're committed for two years whether you like it or whether you don't like it. That's right. <laughs> you don't walk out of this college when you don't like something. Because it's like somebody you don't hire, you can't fire them. Right. <laughs> it's the one outfit you just can't say, well, tomorrow I'm going to leave. I'm going home, see Mama and see how her cookies are. You just have Mama send cookies up here so I get some of them too. The Lord said, I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. And that's the core. The Lord is our shield. The Lord has to be our shield. And the reward of this core is the exceeding greatness of God's word and his power that's available. And ladies and gentlemen, if that isn't enough, the core dies. He is our exceeding great reward. To worship the true God and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. You know, Henry Van Dyke wrote a poem entitled, What is a School? I have used his seed plot for the poem I've written. And the one I've written is entitled, What is the Way Corps? The way core is not ancient walls and ivy-mantled towers where dull denominational traditions rule. With heavy hand, believers deeply springing powers. The way core, not spacious pleasure courts, and lofty temples of athletic fame, where devotees of sports mistake a pastime for life's highest game. Not fashion or renown or wealthy patronage and rich estate. No, none of these can crown the way core with light and make it truly great. But Equip believers, ambassadors, strong and wise, who teach because they love the teacher's task and find their richest prize in eyes that open and in minds that ask. 
That's the way it goes.